So the first topic we I had slated was the introductions to complex engines, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I don't know if you guys want to talk about that first, or if you want to talk about being at the table and how we act in social settings first, or what are you guys feeling? I think we should. I think I think we should talk about that one first. We'll we'll do the Stellaris one first, right? Okay. That the complex systems. Yeah, I mean that's that's what we're talking about, right? Yeah, we also. Drew and I mentioned Warframe in the previous one for part of this as well, because Warframe has a lot of complex things involved in it. I know about Path but of it, Exile. I mean, I played a lot of yeah. I played a lot of Warframe. I don't know if you can say you can play you've played a lot of Warframe. I mean I play I feel like I played a good amount of Warframe. Like I played tri- I played uh, close to a hundred hours. Yeah, but given the size of Warframe and given what you've accomplished in those hundred hours i don't know if you can say you've played a lot of warframe i played we want to just launch right into it then and include this discussion yeah i'm gonna include this i'll i can crop i crop and things all the time in post (laughs) but welcome back everybody to another episode of the podcast where we continue some ideas that we talked about in the previous podcast and because drew was with us when we talked about them in the previous one he's also here with us again in this one Hello, I've managed to direct the conversation to areas I am slightly more qualified in. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So in the previous podcast, we mentioned how these complex engines can be both good and satisfying to us, but also they have the potential to be overcomplicated or bad or like an engine that doesn't quite run well. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And while we were talking about this topic in the previous one, a few games were mentioned, uh, Stellaris being one of them, Path of Exile being another one, and Warframe being one as well. So I think it's fair that we start with just chatting about those games a bit. Let's talk, let's talk about them. And since Drew, you're yeah. most familiar with Path of Exile and Stellaris, tell us about some engines and complicated this shit in them. <laughs> I'll go ahead and get started. Just a summary on Path of Exile then. It's an action RPG. It's a spiritual successor to Diablo 2. So you control your character from above, you run around, activate skills, slaughter things. And it's all pretty grimdark. Literal aqueducts, aqueducts filled with blood and whatnot. So, I mean, they, they go so over the top, it loses all meaning. Um, but in terms of complexity and the engines involved, well, as expected, you control your character. But where it starts to get complicated is in your skill setups, because they have this whole gem system that's not too complex, but then in items. Because in that game, unique items are not necessarily the best items. Like custom design, it does this cool neat effect. It can do neat effects, but it's not necessarily going to give you the best numbers. So they start get you start being able to craft gear that you find. You upgrade it, you use these different things to like re-roll stuff and add a modifier, that stuff's expensive. And there are so many different ways to modify things that usually people just buy items from other players who know what they're doing and know how to manipulate to all those random odds and ends. And it gets more complex when you realize that after the story, you hit mapping, quote unquote, where you can just run different like maps of enemies to clear, and you start getting these different types of content there. You get things like Abyss, where you chase down the fissure and slaughter the things to get specific types of items that go into specific types of slots in your skill tree or on equipment. You start getting um, essence where you break out the monster, 
kill it and you get these things that can upgrade items from normal to rare with a specific effect. You start getting blight where you need to do tower defense here and then you can get these oils to anoint your jewelry and then you get these things like there's now ritual where you slaughter things in a circle to save favor and you start reserving stuff and buying expensive specific things. You have heist where you run like crim like crime things. The point being there are so many different specific subsystems that will just pop up in your maps. And this isn't even including like the core five of like incursions where you're modifying a temple, or delve where you're going down an endless mine shaft, or all these other things. The point being, there are so many different subsystems there. And the game's mechanics are very specific in terms of like less and fewer are, are not the same. Increased and reduced or like reduced is different from less. There is so much complexity there that while the game introduces some of it to you when you first appear and it'll pop up with some tooltips, the game doesn't pause. You don't get to read that stuff. So there is so many shit tons going on there that in practice what ends up happening is you ignore like 80% of it. Like, I'll learn that later. Was that a summary? I think that was a summary. I think that, I think that was definitely a, a summary. Uh, so... I have a question. Is Path of Exile classified as an MMO or is it just single player? That's probably going to depend on how strictly you define MMO. Most people play it solo. Some really high-end people play it in groups. In theory, you can trade with anyone in the same league. So, like, you can't trade with hardcore people or people in the temporary, like, special leagues. So you can interact with any number of people, but in practice, it's solo or small group until you start trading. So I suppose it technically is an MMO, but an actual play, no. So, but but it does have like a global market, quote unquote. Yes, it does. Market. No auction house. That's a very particular thing, but there is a global market. All right. Mm. So, because it has that connection, it still would be considered an MMO. It would just be instance based, which means, yeah. Do you have to? Do I have to explain what instance based means? I know what that means. It means that within a given like loaded version of this area, there's a limited number of players. But in theory, you could connect with anyone. Yeah. So, for example, an MMO that I play, you can see everybody in town or you can trade with anybody. But as soon as you go to run a dungeon, it's solo unless you have a party with you. Bingo. Yeah. Okay. So it still would be classified as an MMO in my book. Uh, just not in the standard what WoW defined. Mm, I call it a first-person shooter. That's an impressive assertion for a game that is very third-person. I didn't mean to stop the room, guys. It was just a joke. Good lord. <laughs> Great. You killed it. We're done. Call it a wrap. It's the end of the episode. <laughs> Podcast murdered. I ask because I think the mentality of adding complexity through gear is something within the MMO mindset or mm -hmm. genre, so to say, because I see it a lot in the MMOs that I've played, which I have played a plethora of MMOs solo and with friends. And most of the time you hit end game and in a desperate attempt to keep end game intriguing to the players, they default to adding complexity. Whereas yep. maybe in the lower levels before it was just, oh, like you'll enhance your gear or whatever, and that'll make it better. But as soon as you get like post-end game, they're like, 
You can enhance your gear and you can embed gems into it to change how the gear functions. And then you can also enhance those gems. And then you can also craft different gems that do different things that are not the same as those things. And each gear slot has a different gem slot. So good luck finding the right gem for it. Oh, and by the way, you can mutate your skills to do different things with these special things. That's the gem system, yes. Yeah. <laughs> And they're like, and now we're also inducing talismans, which directly impact your stats. But you only have set, like, specific categories or slots of talismans. Whereas if you put a talisman in this slot, it'll boost it a certain way. Whereas if you put a talisman in this slot later on down the line, it does less boosting, right? And so they add all these things in hope that it'll keep it complex and fresh to the players during endgame because... End games tend to be more stagnant. So I, I have a feeling that this desperate attempt at complexity is something familiar to a lot of MMOs, not just Path of Exile. Does that make sense? Yes. I'd say Path of Exile is approached from a slightly different angle. They're pretty loath to add in new slots, but new ways to adjust and craft the gear that goes in those so spots. Like, they haven't added a new equipment slot aside from, like, a super specific, while you're in heist, here is your heist thing. And that is the only instance I can think of, and I've been with the game for a couple of years now. Right. So they're not adding new sock spot sockets and stuff. But I think in their case, they have a model where every 13 weeks they start a new season, where they'll introduce some new mechanic that'll appear everywhere if you're in that temporary league. You know, whole economy reset, start from scratch. And then it'll usually get introduced into the core game once that ends in some limited capacity. But all the new like crafting options or act associated activities involved stick around, is the point. So it's less complexity in terms of new gear to try and fiddle with, but that is part of it. That's what sort of like the lure in to engage with this new content. It's rewarding in that sense. Mm. Um, but it's an attempt to keep the end game fresh to varying degrees of success. Yeah. So, so I want to dogpile here for a second and say... Um, I would classify that as an MMO, and this game requires you to work at like a part-time job from the sound of it. If you want to play the end game seriously, yes. I've never beaten Cyrus. The uh, Is that the final boss still, or has it been one-upped? The Maven's a new one and stuff. Yeah, basically you're trying to optimize your gear to be able to take on these end game bosses. I've never played this game, but I'll say it's been one-upped. It'll make it more interesting. Uh, Mazio, how many MMOs have you played in your lifetime? Seven, six, seven, something like that. When I say when I say played, I mean like I say more than a hundred hours. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, more than a hundred hours. In some cases, more than a thousand. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that like this wasn't you being like I have only played WoW. No, I mean I started playing MMOs in what I would call the golden age of MMOs. So like the first one I seriously played was UO, and that okay. that was a percentile system with a whole bunch of different crafting things and. That was, it's an, I mean, you're going back to the 90s on this. So it was one of those systems where, like, if you really wanted a master crafted weapon, you literally had to buy it from another player because they were the only people that did it. And right. crafting was like, it was its own thing. It's kind of a weird, it sounds weird now, but it's, it was a more primordial world, I would say. You could also place houses randomly. Mm -hmm. Like, if there was a clearing where the house would fit, you could put a house there with no cap on houses. So. I don't think that's really primordial because some some MMOs that are more modern also do that. Like, I've talked a I, lot. I about... meant the crafting system was a little more primordial. It was like yeah, get but or I make, but I also think that craft that's... item. There's not a lot of the complexity that you're talking about in that. 
that particular right, game. Right, right, right. But I, I also don't think that's, like, absurd to some some of the MMOs that are modern. Well, I mean, like, when you have, like, a guild hall or whatever, usually it's an instance. I mean, these were all live. Like, you just plunked a house down in the wild live, and that was it. And if you didn't lock it, anybody could go into it. Yeah. Is that normal again? Did yeah. Did we come back to that? Because we didn't do that for a long time. Well, so... I think it depends because like sandbox MMOs are back on the rise where that is that is how they work. Where like you can develop and build your hold in the same world where everyone else exists so long as you had that spot of land first and then you can defend and build like around it. And then also the crafting in those tend to be very simple because sandbox MMOs needs the crafting to be more simple because it's going to ask you to do a lot of it because it's the core gameplay of it. Yeah, I think when my friend did um, carpentry or fletching, I think it was carpentry, he had to make mastercrafted crossbows and the last percentage point, so like one one hundredth of a percentage point, right, was something, or ten, one tenth of a percentage point was like 300 mastercrafted crossbows. At, like, a yeah, ludicrous that, amount of resources per Mastercraft crossbow. That's how Guild Wars 2's crafting is right now. Like, I've had to craft, like, 800 wooden dowels to, like, level up some sort of crafting that I've had. Um, yeah. So it still exists in MMOs today, but I think new systems have also emerged that kind of overshadow that. Well, I mean, the systems I'm used to are, are more like what Drew's describing now, where it's like... There's all these little pieces, and they all modify different things, and you need a bunch of different resources, whereas this was like, you needed a lot of wood, just a lot of wood, yeah. which meant you had to find a lumberjack, because there were no vendors to really to sell you wood in quantity, so then you'd have to go find a lumberjack, which is what I actually did in UO. I was a lumberjack. I wandered around with two donkeys, chopping wood, endlessly, um, so and then vending that wood to other players in, in like a literal... There was no auction house, so you would stand in the town square and just yell what you had into the ether with everyone else. Yeah. I'm going to stop you right there. Uh, You remember how I've talked about how I know what I'm doing with recording software? So we were talking about complexity and we drifted into crafting, right? Yeah, well, and I just want to say Guild, Guild Wars 2 is still very much that old style of crafting where, like, I can't buy wood. I have to go out and farm trees for about eight hours to get wood. Yeah. <laughs> but the only difference is they have an auction house where I could just pay someone else to do that well, for me. Auction auction houses just didn't exist at that point. Like, Yeah, that's why I'm saying the, the difference is, is that... It's a lot easier to find someone who's doing it. Yeah, I, I think that, um, I mean, I think that one of the things I wanted to say real quick is MMOs require on the crafting complexity because a lot of the other stuff is kind of simplified, right? Like, you have your gameplay, you have your loop that you run of your abilities and whatever else, and but after you're geared, right, after you've slotted in all the slots, the games play in a very, like, kind of normal way. They're not, like, particularly complex as games go. It's that, like, Getting to that point where you just go into a dungeon and do a thing, that's the part that's like a hellish nightmare. I mean, at least to me. That's why, like, after my, I'm going to say failed attempt at Warframing, I'm like, yeah, I'm just done. Like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Guild Wars 2 was fun. 
and interesting, but like I'm not I'm not at a point in my life anymore where like chopping trees for five hours sounds like a soothing time. Yeah, uh, and I will also say it's probably significantly easier to just add the complexity into the crafting than it is to add skill tree branches because when it comes to end game, most people have already either spent all their skill points and can't get any more or have their skill trees down pat. And some MMOs will do this where they'll add, like, you can have a different specialization. And everyone in the MMO will either be very excited about the specialization specialization they've added or scream because now they have to reset their entire skill tree <laughs> and re-specialize. Okay, I want to tell you about skill trees in Path of Exile. Go ahead. I'm going to put an image into the Discord of the skill tree everybody is on. I think that's might be an older version of the skill tree, but each of those like uh, big old thing circle things are a starting point. There's like seven of them, and everyone's on that same skill tree. Oh, that makes me want to hurt myself. And then you start socketing. Let me show you an instance of someone who is partway through their skill tree, socketing gems in with radiuses that affect things around them. There's even, like, specific gems that will convert notables around them to do different stuff. I have one in a character that, like, minus one intelligence per intelligence in allocated skill points within radius. Plus 2% mana regeneration speed per intelligence in radius. That's, um... You wanted to talk about skill trees. Path of Exile has got one hell of a skill tree. You got people reaching around the side to try and get to, like, lumps of life nodes and stuff. I think Path of Exile... Wait, can you actually fill this whole thing out, or are you capped at a certain point? Oh, no, no. There's, like, a certain number of skill points you get through the story. You can hit up to level 100, but the grind at that end gets ridiculous. So, in practice, you'll get to level 90 if you're taking it seriously. And then a few extras. Oh, and you can add in now cluster jewels to extend build add-ons to the skill tree, basically. Again, using the crafting system to build the add-ons. So, sorry, you mentioned skill trees, and I wanted to mention that, yes, Path of Exile has this. So as a new player, you open up, you're like, okay, I get level 2, I'm in the first zone. Press the P button for passives. What sort of fresh hell is this? So So I'm going to go ahead and say in the good, the bad, and the ugly that Path of Exile is either bad or ugly. It's definitely ugly. I'm not going to say it's bad, but it's definitely ugly. So I want to, I do want to clarify though, before we get any farther, I don't, I want to say this isn't a judge on whether the game as a whole is bad. I think we need to clarify that we're looking at the systems to see if these were done elegantly or not. (laughs) And like, even if the community has decided to say, I, you know, I'm just going to suffer through this and I'm going to use it. Or they may even enjoy it. I mean, I definitely think there's no, they a, may even enjoy I it. I think there's a place in gaming for things that are this complicated. And I, I'd like to put a line in the sand where it's like, complex is this idea, but elegantly executed, and complicated is this idea, but inelegantly executed, right? And I, I think there, I was understanding this mostly in terms of introduction. Like, how does the player introduce to and learn this in Path of Exile? There is very little hand-holding. It's definitely a check-the-wiki, read-community-guides game. Yeah, I would actually say that that is inherently complicated. If the game isn't going to help you at all, that Mm -hmm. makes it rougher. But I think there is something to be said for the fact that there is a place for this in gaming, and there is a certain type of gamer that this is what they want to do, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's that's a good use of gaming time. I, I am not that person anymore, but I do get it. 
Yeah, and I I think that's something that we just needed to state before going farther into this and kind of tearing apart some systems. Oh, yeah. I, for instance, I love Path of Exile. Over the years, I've started to slowly reach burnout at this point, but I have enjoyed my time with there. I enjoy the basic gameplay, and I have frankly enjoyed learning how the heck this works and the difference between increased and more. Yeah. Well, I do like when you were saying that earlier. I was like, I do enjoy the fact that they are you know, really cranking on the English language there and making use of the words for their various their various minutiae differences, where in general, colloquial speech, we do not. Yep, until they say nearby, but that's another matter. What does nearby mean? Again. That's completely subjective. Those master's degrees. Exactly. Those master's degrees are coming in handy, aren't they, Massimo? Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm, as I said, you get little text introductions while you're still in the middle of a fight in Path of Exile. So I'm going to chalk that up as an ugly introduction, if not outright bad, because they don't explain much too well. A lot of it can be ignored, as I said, with the end game, You ignore like 80% of those weird bits of content, but I'm going to call it ugly in terms of its introduction, because it doesn't hold your hand for anything. It doesn't even extend a hand or have a hand you can reach out and grab. <laughs> right, so maybe, maybe the barrier for players isn't really how complex these systems are or how many moving pieces there are to this engine, but how the engine is portrayed to the players. So for example, this complex squill tree may be perfectly fine, but because it is not introduced or shown to the players in a way that is easily digestible or comprehensible to the players, it becomes ugly or quote unquote bad, I, right? I actually think it's both. I, I think that the first, the one you're describing, the introduction, is the primary barrier because right. the scope of gamer or the amount of people in the world that are willing to deal with the fact that you're going to be on a wiki on your second screen the entire time you're learning this game just to get up and running and functional to make level two or three is is probably significantly smaller. But I think there's a group of people like me that don't mind the wiki problem but are like, Wait, 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 wait. How many alloy strips do I need? Where do I... Oh, okay, no, 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 no. I'm not doing this. <laughs> but then, it, yeah. I don't think that's complexity you necessarily have a problem with. It's the grind that inherently comes with some of these complex engines that perhaps could be reduced or removed because a grind in and of itself doesn't add complexity. But I mean... It adds a barrier that enforces, that like restricts restricts how quickly you can reach the complexity. But I, I think that those things are linked together. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you have... A, I think you can have a grind without the complexity like you see in beat-em-up games or whatever. But I think that if you have this level of complexity you have a grind inherently built in that racks up hours. Because my number one problem yeah. with a lot of the grind in this stuff is that it isn't interesting or challenging. It's just something I have to do until the RNG d deems me worthy of my, you know, wood or alloy strips or gemstone or what have you. And some of those are just raw percentage chances where you're just sitting there going like, all right, I guess we're going to fight a Bricadios until that 1% drop happens to miracle into my pack. So do you think then it would be better if the complexity foregoed that type of grind and instead the grind was you need a lot of materials or materials you have to craft prior to reaching this complexity. So each crafting one requires you to maybe go out and explore or fight something, but the drop rate isn't poor to the point where you're fighting it 80 times to get the thing you need 
So there's still complexity in you trying to find the recipe to craft this thing, but it's not the complexity of, it's not the grind of praying for RNG to be on your side. Yeah. And I mean, I, I like that a lot better. And I think that, that makes an overall stronger game because I think it allows people with more, I don't want to say limited time, but people like me, they get frustrated by an RNG barrier that can't be really dealt with in any way other than throwing time into it. Then I'm going to go ahead and unrecommend Path of Exile for you because there are ways to nudge things, but absolutely crafting at the end of the game is I do this semi-deterministic thing to build up the resource and then slam an orb on it, hope you get the yeah, result no, you want. Yeah, no, hard pass. Uh, and it may just break your item. See, I'm I'm not even that mad so, about that. I mean, I think it's only because I've not really encountered that particular type of system in in that type of intimacy. Most of my experiences have been with the, all right, run this mission or go hit this tree or this grouping of trees endlessly until you get the one thing you need. Enjoy your 2% chance. Yeah, less so of that here, generally. I think this that also speaks, though, to a broader issue, is that the agency the players get in a game... Jude, I have to explain agency or no? I understand agency. Okay. The agency you give players in a game is very important. So in MMOs, typically, a player has the illusion of large amounts of agency. You have character customization, you have a skill tree, you can tailor your character how you want. When that agency is suddenly removed or taken away, it is felt very strongly. It may not have been felt strongly in other games where you weren't gifted so much agency to start, but because you were gifted a lot of agency in the beginning of an MMO, when you suddenly don't have it, it is more noticeably felt. So when you go up against an RNG where you have no agency in that, and you really can't do anything to turn the tide besides throw bodies at a wall... It's felt very strongly and oftentimes negatively. Yeah, the first time I quit Warframe was following. I think I needed like something. I needed a ridiculously small quantity of alloy strips. I think it was like maybe 150 or something like that. And I ran a mission eight times and got like 50 strips. And I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm done. We're done here. Thanks for coming out. And Warframe is another game that we were going to talk about today for its complexity, which handles its complexity different than Path of Exile, but I think like sibling relations <laughs> with how com with its complexity. They've had comparisons made in terms of their free-to-play, open-ended, yeah. look-at-all-this-shit-you-can-do. Yeah. Warframe adds a brand new subsystems whenever they desire to add complexity. And the subsystems can range from, we've added a whole new series of mods that work completely differently than previous mods, Riven mods, or we added this cool thing that nobody gives two shits about, but if you do a lot of skateboarding tricks, these kids will like you. Uh-huh. All right, Warframe. I have to remember yep. that. <laughs> uh -huh. They also have a habit of adding things that are like high ceiling, but like, very close to the floor when they were like, okay, you can fly around in space on a ship now, but you only have one mission. We'll get back to this in two years. Bye. They just now got back to it. Yeah, it's been it's been about two years. That makes sense. What? I think that bruised my soul. Uh -huh. Just the sheer investment into next to nothing to get that whole system working and then let it lay there dead. Yeah, so... Warframe has a lot of complexity in all the pieces that are interacting with one another, not nearly on the same level as Path of Exile, but you have your frame, now you have your operator, which is not recently added, it feels recent, but it was like years ago, uh, 
you know, you have pets that can interact with you with <laughs> mods. Pets have their own mods, own type of mods. You have your own type of mods. There are different types of mods. You have Exilus mods and you have Aura mods, which both perform different actions. You have Riven mods, which are you have to succeed in doing some sort of thing before they unlock or reveal themselves. And you have a bunch of different type of gear, and most gear has its own prime variants, which increase it in a different way. Enemies have different weaknesses to different types, be it slashing or I I, I default to D and D with bludgeoning, piercing, and yeah, impact. It's not, I was like, it's not bludgeoning; it's impact. impact. So you have to make sure you have a wide variety of weapons to play to those, and then each different elemental effects can trigger with other elemental effects to create new elemental effects fire and poison you'll have gas right so they have a lot of these small interactions that add complexity but warframe doesn't tell you any of this because they have it. I mean, it's there on the tooltips in the ui but it's not really explained or mentioned to you it just sort of accidentally happens and if you're looking you see the labels change yeah and it's partially because they haven't updated their tutorial in probably a decade <laughs> that feeling yep and once you're done with that tutorial they have nothing else for you and you can follow the main story but the main story doesn't give you any advice or any hints as to what to do uh and quests aren't really clear what your rewards will be at the end of the quest up front so you can't even look at those rewards and be like oh this is how i get a kubro egg instead you're like all right what does this reward me and Warframe's like i don't know do the quest and find out <laughs> i i also think in that exact same vein like I don't mind games like that if you can, like, play them all natural. Like, just run in there and play the game and take what the rewards are and, and you're still effective. You are not effective in Warframe if you do that, though. <laughs> like, I have hit walls in that game where it's like, okay, I went from doing double crits for 9,000 damage to I can't damage this one boss and I have no idea why. Yeah. yeah, they've added, and it got worse because they modified their boss battles to be more raid-esque, which... I like, but there's no hints as to what to do on a boss. There's no call-outs. Like, sometimes when you go up against, in an MMO, if you go up against a boss for the first time, there's either, one, a training mode you can do first if it's a big raid boss, or two, characters around you will give call-outs when a big attack is happening, or whatever, and at least notify you that, like, something's going up here. Not in Warframe. You're thrown into arena against something, and you can't deal any damage to it, and you're like, what the fuck do I do? And Warframe's like, man, I don't know. Figure it the fuck out. So, Warframe is another one where... I think the problem lies in how these systems are portrayed to the player and introduced. Ignoring Warframe's other issues where they give you like a small nugget of a system and then they don't build or modify it for like years after they've given you that nugget. But if they would slowly guide you through all these individual subsystems so that you could get a big picture of how everything is connected and process and understand it better, I think it would really help Warframe. But it just doesn't do that. Yeah, as I said, I think Path of Exile handles this better than Warframe because Path of Exile 1, well, they're nice and self-contained, but one, there are like text explanations at least that you can look at. Two, you can get by ignoring most of this for much of the game. As I said, you end up often buying gear, so you don't have to look at all these different methods. You can continue to play and then take a look at these in your own time, and the walls are significantly softer than in Warframe. It's a lot more voluntary easing yourself in as you are comfortable than Warframe where... So, you ready for these next three? <clears throat> I think it's funny, though. I, I don't mind the wiki nature of a lot of the other games I play, like particularly games that I view as competitive, where like I have to watch, you know, streamers or I have to read up and I have to make sure that I 
actually read the patch notes before we go in for the night, that sort of a thing, versus an MMO where I find it very annoying, and I think it's just because my expectations on those games are so incredibly different. So I guess the natural question that I have next is, what games do it well? What games introduce you to a complex system well? Introduce you to it? Yeah, or that it's portrayed well to the player. I want to do a hot take and actually say Stellaris based off my experience a couple years ago. I'm going to say Stellaris and Civ 6 both do a good job of getting you into a complicated system in a way where you can at least function. You're not... You're right. not you're not going to God tier yeah. without a lot of work, but you are able to actually actively play the game and negotiate everything and And get an enjoyment from it. Yeah, and you do feel like, you know, Stellaris and Civ six, at least to me, I mean I'll I'll go for Civ four and five, where it's like, especially when you're learning the game, there's that point of like, oh, if I did it over I would do this. Oh, if I did right. it over I would do that. And I prefer, you know, uh, civilizations or races that do X or Y or Z or Q or whatever over these other things. Like, I really like colonizing worlds in Stellaris. And I didn't, I mean, I've only played Stellaris really twice. But um, I'm like, yeah, like, no, colonizing worlds is like the thing I like most because I really like working through the bases and then upgrading the stuff. The, the outpost to star bases so that I can get kind of the bonuses from that um, and doing it that way. And Civ has that, the Civ has those same kind of vibes where you're like, Oh, I really don't need to get like eight horses. I can harvest like all but one or two and it'll be fine because really I'm just going to support a couple of knights to get me through that military era and I'm done. I think there's something to be said that these games, one, know the pacing you're going to take fairly well. Because two, there's the expectation that you will go through this process and these steps again. These are strategy games where a match finishes. Whereas with the MMOs we've been talking about so far, in theory, you keep that character, you keep pushing the end game, and you don't go through this again. It's a one-time trip. I hate remaking so characters in MMOs, so I relate to this on a spiritual level. Like once I hit max level, I'm like, I never want to level up again. Yeah, never play a Path of Exile uh, season. Um, yeah, I was going to ask, a, a league operates like a I Diablo that, season, right? Where you have to, you start at zero again. Yes, yeah. And I think that because in these games, the beginning of the game is just as important as the end of it, if, if not more so. I think that the developers of Ship spent more time making sure it is a gradual expansion of responsibility and complexity. Because I remember first time playing Stellaris, it felt organic as I kept discovering new technologies that opened up systems or meeting species and going, oh, okay, so now I've got this whole diplomacy thing I can handle. Oh, it can just sort of sit there if I don't want to actually do anything with it until, you know, you do something terrible that pisses them off. Uh, In which case, they'll send you like warnings and rebukes first. So you get notifications. You pick the robot race to find out that you have to exterminate everybody else. Yeah, I realized, Mazio, for reference, folks, Mazio and I played Stellaris twice now. Once for a couple hours, sort of an introduction, lots of reading, processing for Mazio, and I'm like, take your time, take your time. Second time, he made, picked one of the pre-made races again, like the X-something-something exterminators. Um, and I didn't realize at the time, but I remember now, when you select a hive mind, be it a machine or organic one, 
it disables a lot of the tutorials. Yeah, I noticed that I wasn't getting a lot of help from my, like, effectively my Navi friend, who's like, yeah, I'll show up every once in a while, but, like, you're a hive mind, so good luck. And I was like, this isn't bad, but this isn't bad because I can always be like, Drew? <laughs> what? I'm sorry, Drake? What is what is this? Oh, uh, yeah, we decided to contract Drew Jake to make it Drake. Which is apparently also a term for a male duck, so it fits. I had somewhere I was going to go, and then my brain just, like, derailed horribly in a crashing fire off the train track. Ozzy, I was going to be proud. Oh, okay. So how I see this, though, is that with Civ and possibly Stellaris, but I have not played Stellaris, your choices are very linear or compacted. In Civ, sure... I have choices I can make at the beginning, but they're not infinite choices. Mm-hmm. Whereas in an MMO, you can't guarantee that the player is going to do the next quest you have lined up to teach them this system as soon as you turn the reins over. That player instead could go spend eight hours trying to glitch themselves up a mountain and completely ignore your quest. Or that player could go wander off into the woods and get bitch slapped by a higher level because they didn't notice that the level swapped into the zone they were at and then quit your game. (laughs) And you also don't want to railroad players in MMOs for an extremely long amount of time, right? Because that's also a negative play experience. Yeah, you mentioned agency earlier. Yeah, so instead you try and at least impart the basics to them in this tutorial where you're holding the reins, but you know you're on borrowed time because players, when they go to play MMOs, expect a certain level of agency to them. So you have to turn the reins over. And as soon as you turn the reins over, you hope that the character will find the quests that you have littered throughout the world to teach them about these subsystems if you've bothered to put them in. But you can't guarantee they'll ever get there or hit that point and you can't take the reins back after you've turned them over. Not like you did before, at least. Whereas, again, with Civ, since I played Civ, you're pretty, like, narrow in what choices you can make. In each choice, your advisor can pop up and say, I would have done this, or, yeah, now that we've built this, we can do blah, blah, blah. And you'll earn this per and turn. I think that's beautiful, is that it has the gradual expansion of possibility and responsibility. Yeah. Because, yeah, as you said, you start off with a settler and a warrior. There's only so much you can do with those. You can settle somewhere nearby. If you already know what you're doing, there's some choice involved there. Or you can send them to wander off across the ocean because you're playing as that one Civ and... <laughs> the one the one the super being, advanced Civ that, like, is a total gamble roll. <laughs> the point being, I encountered that so much with Stellaris, and you see it with Civ 2, and I... Probably many 4X games, but I haven't played many modern 4X games. Horizons gradually expand as your Civ gets more things, you get more cities to do things at. Your technologies, especially in Stellaris, open entire avenues and options, like when you could start being able to uh, invest time to ignore the hyperlanes that you normally have to travel along, um, etc. So I think that's what allows them to operate so well, because they have the ability to deliberately pace the expansion of your options yeah. and agency. Right, whereas with MMOs, they can't. Because there's different expectations. If you're introducing, you mean like, yeah. like in World of Warcraft, when it was vanilla, and I decided to ding level 60, which is the time with the highest level, 
by turning in cloth. Sure, yeah. Yeah, that's all I did. I was like, yeah, I'm just going to turn it. I, I stockpiled cloth, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to turn in cloth, because it gives you a very meager amount of experience, and that's how I'm going to max my character out. Yeah, I mean, and that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> players do that. It's not just Mazio. It's just that there's so many different ways to level up and explore a world when you're talking about MMOs. Like, <laughs> you can't really force them to encounter, or you can't really pace the game as much as you can in 4X games like Civ and Stellaris. Yeah. And I think that's where all of these issues from the complexity being introduced poorly or being portrayed poorly or being integrated poorly because the devs have very little way to gauge what does the player know at this point? Can I guarantee that they all have this amount of foundation of knowledge? What is that foundation of knowledge? And when I introduce it to them, if they don't have that foundation of knowledge, what do they do? <laughs> what do I do? Do I tell them, do I make this quest a prerequisite for this one? I mean, I can, but then you'll have people who are grumpy about it who will say, eh, or people who did that quest decades ago and forgot about it. And now they're like, why the heck is that quest a prerequisite? Or that quest had prerequisites. And now you're like eight quest chains back forcing the players to do something, right? Bumped into that with a bit with Warframe where it's like, how do I access yep. this operator yep. system? I've got to do this quest. Wait, how do I do that quest? It's not on my list you right gotta now. you got to do this quest first. Okay, uh, I don't have that quest either. All right, how about this quest? Yeah. We even bumped into that with Monster Hunter World, trying to yeah. uh, unlock mantles and stuff, where it's like, you need this to complete this quest. We don't have it. You need to complete these two quests. Okay. Yeah, and that presents a different set of problems when you do it that way because now i'm in a developer term it's like you're in uh inheritance hell <laughs> or like everything is inheriting off of everything else and you can't actually find what knowledge you wanted the player to learn in the first place <laughs> to then hit this next point in the quest and so i think that adds an extra level of challenge which is why so many like the characteristics of path of exile and warframe are more prominent in mmos than they are in these 4X games or standalone games or games that are more solo-driven or focused. I want to say, like, solo-instanced. Singular-instanced games. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know what the term is, but okay. I know what you're trying to yeah. say. Self-contained. A games that have a beginning and end within a playthrough. <laughs> Whereas yeah. MMOs have no set end. Thank you, love. Uh, and that's what makes you're it fuzzy. Yeah. I want to add in one more thing, one, one more option that I don't think came up in your uh, explanation, but I think Stellaris does well. And that is tooltips and making information available to the player. Sure, Civ has the Civilopedia, where if you remember it exists and you bother, you can look things up and cross-reference like the a wiki. If you remember what it Stellaris exists does, is the important thing, because I never yeah. remember it exists. What Stellaris does incredibly is that if you hover over anything for a second, it'll pop up a concise, descriptive tooltip. It'll explain what food is used for and how much you have, how much you're making. It'll explain what alloys are used for, where they come from, how much you have, how much you're making. It'll explain what a pop is. It'll explain why your pop there's a negative whatever on your population growth. It has very effective tooltips. And I don't think that can be undersold when explaining how it's accessible. Because I remember that was a lot of how I learned. I'd keep pausing and going, Wait, what is this again? Oh, okay, this is stability, and it comes from by people being happy. It can affect their things as a percentage. 
I don't have to worry about that too much as long as it doesn't change. Okay. Well, where is my happiness coming from? The use of tooltips and the use of a guided tutorial are two very different teaching styles, which I think you guys can speak more to since you both have teaching backgrounds. But how me, who does not have a teaching background, views it, and I've talked about this previously on the podcast, so get ready to hear it again, is I went to a Montessori school when I was really young, which is completely different than how traditional schools, like public schools, are run. (laughs) Whereas Montessori, I was allowed to go out and explore and pick up things that I found interesting. And yes, there were teachers that will guide you and make sure that you went to different areas to learn different things so you weren't just focused on one area, right? But you weren't trapped, forced to do something in a classroom. And I almost equate tooltips to that style of teaching where they want the player to be able to learn as they are exploring or expressing interest in something. So in Stellaris, if you have an interest in what food does, then it'll show you the information right through the tooltip. So it's waiting for the player to have an interest in it to then show them that information instead of forcing them into a guided tutorial level where they fully have the reins and they're saying, "All right, I'm going to put I'm going to put all this information in front of you and hopefully you'll listen and digest it right, at this point in time." Yeah, force them to learn. Right? Hold them yeah. face into the water and they'll either drink it or drown. Yeah. Um so that's how I'm view- that's how I view it is that it, it's two very distinct different teaching styles that games can use during tutorial phases that also exist. IRL. I think that's very apt. Yeah. And as a teacher, I'll tell you, there are things you can try to do to try and increase student, or in this case, players' interest right. and how much they care. Right. But fundamentally, I think, yes, that is the other style, and it might be one that we're seeing underused. Or, well, I think it fits games better in some ways. Maybe not for the core systems, but all these auxiliary and complementary things that we've been talking about in Path of Exile and Warframe and Stellaris. More so the first two. I do want to add something. Acknowledging that we already said this is a very valid thing. Like, we're not criticizing the existence of this thing, right? Right. How do we feel about complex systems affecting our enjoyment of a game? And I'll lead off because I want to kind of, I guess, give a tonal example of this. When I was pitched UO by my buddy, Jared. Jared pitched me UO. And, um, oh, I know Jared. Yeah, you know Jared. Jared actually pitched me UO. Um, he was like, oh, it's, it's really complicated. And it's, like an, it's like an RPG, which would mean it's like Final Fantasy 1 to us. Like, or like, at best, Ocarina of Time. And uh-huh. <clears throat> he was like, but you do a lot of other stuff. And the conversation revolved around the other stuff, which is why I made a lumberjack and not a mage. Does that make sense? Right. But I think yeah. one of my major problems is when I'm pitched something like, um, this is a bad example, but it's the only one that came to mind. Guild Wars 2, people were like, oh, like you go adventuring like you did in WoW. And it's like, no, actually, Guild Wars 2, in my opinion, is closer to UO in that like, if you want to just craft, you can just craft. Yeah, you can just be a tailor because you'll get experience from it. Right. And I think that that's a... My my experiences with these games, with these very complex systems, is the way your expectation is set before you hit install is the most critical juncture in all of this, right? A bad introduction can be overcome with internet resources and friends. R- rough issues in the thing can be overcome with time and patience and whatever else, right? Like, that's what we talked about with Warframe. But fundamentally, why don't I like Warframe when I loved UO? If I played Guild Wars 2, if I ever played Guild Wars 2 again, because that's not even installed because I have a new computer, 
I'm probably going to come in. I'll probably like be a tailor or something. I, l- I just want to clarify. I love Guild Wars 2. Oh, I know you do. I'm not criticizing reasons, Guild but... Wars 2. I'm saying. No, I know. But I know. like. I just wanted to. <laughs> what's the problem? I'm like, well, the problem is that when I play Warframe, I feel like I want to like fight harder bosses and run harder dungeons and do all this stuff. I don't really want to grind to get a component to wait for the forge to make the gun so that I can get experience because I'm completely gridlock stalled because I didn't really understand that part of things, which actually happened to me the very first time I tried Warframe. And I'm completely gridlock stalled and I can't progress and I can't go over here and I can't do this and I can't do it. Like, and I, I think that like if, if your expectations are set correctly where you're like, listen, Warframe is a gear grind where you shoot things to acquire resources rather than mine nodes or whack trees with an axe. And you're, yeah. and you're like, oh, okay, that's the game I'm playing versus what Warframe is typically portrayed as, at least like on the interwebs, which is you're a space ninja doing space ninja-y things. And you get in there and you're like, actually, I'm a dude that like basically mines corpses for like various components to other guns. Right, and I... We we've already did a whole podcast episode about just how crucial setting expectations are. Yeah. Is but that podcast episode resolved around the marketing departments and advertising. Whereas this has some of that, but it also has whenever your friends are coming to you and saying, Play this game with me, what parts do they focus on? Yeah. Are they honest and are they gonna say in truth you're gonna spend majority of your time doing this? Or are they just giving you the hype details because they're worried if they told you how it really plays, you wouldn't even install the game? Well, and I think that MMO, MMOs and competitive games have become a thing that, like, your friend got you into. They're not a thing that you generally oh, yeah. did on your own. Like, ratio-wise, I have never once picked up an MMO on my own. City of Heroes was pitched to me by a guy I used to know named Peter. WoW was pitched to me by Derek and a guy we used to hang out with named Jeremy. These were games that were pitched to me by you friends. Can be a social. And I've never once sought, sought the. Um, Guild Wars was pitched to me by you and Heather, I think, Amanda. I think Heather pitched to me before I knew you, actually. Uh, probably. And, and that's. Because that's, I, I played Guild Wars 2 before I met any of you. Yeah, but I mean, unless it's around forever. But, like, I'm pretty sure it was pitched to me by Heather before I knew you. And then again. After you and Heather figured out you both played, I got pitched by both of you again. And it's one of those things where it's like, when you're getting somebody into a game like this, I think you, I think you just have to trust that the game is good enough that the lesser details aren't important. Like, still, I can already tell you I love Stellaris. Eight hours into playing Stellaris, right, which to me doesn't qualify as really knowing anything about the game, because eight hours into that game is basically zero. But... <clears throat> I know I love Stellaris, and I'll play it on and off for the next couple of years, just because it's a beautifully executed system. And but Drake pitched it really, really well. I don't remember you, how I you pitched were like it. it is a resource balancing act in outer space, and then the complexities of a space empire take over. I, I refined that a little bit, but that was the gist of it. Yeah, that's about right. Particularly because it came up during yeah. this podcast. I mean, I think I, I think I like sanded out off the rough edges there, but functionally, that's exactly what it is. And I know from playing previous games what to expect from that. And that said, if you like Twilight Imperium, the board game, you will most likely like Stellaris, the video game. So I do want to say, though, I think it is significantly easier to be pitched a game like Stellaris and Civ and be upfront with what you're going to do than pitch an MMO. Because based on what I've previously talked about, there are infinite choices you can make in an MMO. 
how I play Guild Wars 2 and how Heather plays Guild Wars 2 are very different. Heather decided to bum rush to get mounts and then focus on mounts and getting pretty armor and looking pretty. And meanwhile, I'm over here like, I really like just wandering around and seeing what little town needs help or seeing a column of smoke in the distance and being like, oh, I should go investigate that. And when I get there, there's a quest to help put out fire. Yeah. I So I played the game like that. Heather played the game with a spreadsheet and what outfits looked the best. <laughs> I occasionally play Guild Wars 2 just to get on and walk around and mine things because I, it's just relaxing because the atmosphere is really pretty. But Heather doesn't do that. It, de- it depends on what I am doing, what I find enjoyable the game when I pitch it to you because there's so much that you're capable of doing in an MMO. Whereas, like I said, Stellaris and Civ, you're very limited on what choices you can make. And the gameplay experience is mostly the same among players. Mostly. Okay. Keyword there. It can change, yeah, but mostly. But I think, Whereas I, with an MMO, they differ wildly. Yeah, but I think the pitch, the pitch choke point is critical in both versions. Like, regardless of what happens after. Right. But I, I think if I pitched you Guild Wars 2 before Heather did, I think I would have given you a very different pitch than what Heather did. But neither of us would have been incorrect. Right. I mean, except you, yeah. like, except Heather's version of playing Guild Wars 2 broke me in a day. And I might have held on longer if we were wandering around and tailoring things. Right. Because this is about knowing the individual person you're pitching versus, like, the game. Right. Uh, so I, I just want to say I think that's what makes it, like, a significantly more difficult and why you get so many wild pitches when it comes to MMOs. Because so many people do so many different things in them. Because you have that instance, option. I have never had I've never had an MMO pitched as, yeah, wander around, bump into things, explore, it's a nice atmosphere. I've never been pitched a game that way. Right. I don't think. At least not an MMO. <laughs> well, let me pitch you Guild Wars 2. No, <laughs> sure, let's do an example here. I'm okay with an example. Usually whenever I pitch an MMO, I will tell you these are the things that I enjoyed about it. So I'm, I'm always upfront with that. Like, for example, when I pitched Dragonest, I said, the story's not great, but the gameplay is a lot of fun for me. And I was very honest. I said, it's not open world. It's instance-based. It's a little bit confusing when you get to level 90, but it's easy to level up. The gameplay's a lot of fun. The story's shit. And, it's and like I went a- ahead and gave it a shot until uh, people started picking up, what was it, Monster? No, Genshin Impact yeah. came along, and I was like, see, I have a yeah. new toy. and then Drew went on the Genshin Impact. So if I were to pitch Guild Wars 2, I would tell you the things that I like about Guild Wars 2 is that it's not a traditional questing system. You don't just walk to someone and talk to them and get quests. You have to explore the world. You get experience from discovering new places. You get experience from discovering points of interest, from climbing to get vistas so that you can see the world. You get experience just for wandering on new parts of the map to like fill in your map more. And you also just pick up quests as you walk into areas. So like I said earlier, in like the human starting area, a town can catch fire and you'll see that column of smoke from a couple yards away. If you walk into that running town, you automatically pick up the quest to aid the town. And there's like a bar that shows you the progress for how much aid the town's received because everybody who's see that smoke or coming to town are all contributing to that quest completion. And I think that's really enjoyable because it eliminates me running back and forth between 
to people like some middleman or some overpowered male person. Instead, I'm just wandering around being like, this area looks pretty or what's over there? That looks cool. Let me just walk over there and figure it out. Listen, if you don't bring me 8 billion fell goat anuses, you will never be the paragon warrior <laughs> you seek to be. And, and it's, not, it's, it's stuff like that where like I haven't run into those quests in Guild Wars. And I'm on like the third expansion of Guild Wars too. And let me tell you, you've given me the best pitch for that game I've heard because Genshin helped me discover what I love about that game and that is the fresh exploration and some of the story moments. And that now has me more interested in Guild Wars than I have been before. And I have tried it slightly, just not extensively. Yeah, so I think that's where Guild Wars 2 really shines, is I think in how it handles quests and the, ex- and the exploration, and also not worrying about loot stealing or partying with people. Instead, like I think I streamed this once to you and Tom, where <laughs> I was I wandered into like, there's like world levels or whatever it's that's not what it's called but there's like a chain of events that lead up to like a big event in that world in that instance or that area i forget what it's called it's called something specific yeah it's like a public event yeah yeah but like all the quests are always like that so like if i wander in and there's a large group of people and one of those people have like a commander sigil or a mentor sigil then i know they're working on progressing the area quest or the area event uh, these are the not the right words. So I'm sorry if people play Guild Wars 2 and they're just screaming at me because they know the words and I don't. Scream louder. <laughs> Scream louder so that maybe I can pick it up telepathically from the future when you're listening to this. What if that actually um, worked? Good lord. Well, I, you know, I would be amazed, honestly. I can just walk into that group and start participating in the event and that's it. I don't have to squat up with people. I don't have to worry about kill stealing things. I don't have to worry about like what I'm doing. You have like everybody there focusing on one goal in mind. You'll follow with like a herd of people to continue the quest. And it's so it's just so much nicer because I don't have to worry about having like everybody to be online to play the game fully. Right? I don't have to worry about all six of my friends to get on to do this raid on this world boss or whatever, right? Instead it's just, oh, I found a large group of people who are working on the events. Let me just walk up, I'm in the area, and I'll join. So I think that's where Guild Wars really shines. And don't get me wrong, it fa- it fails and falls in other areas, right? Because no one's most perfect. But I think that's the key point of Guild Wars and the key selling point is really exploration and how they've handled it with quests. That's my pitch for Guild Wars 2. If anyone wants to play with me, please let me know because typically I play MMOs solo and it's very lonely. <laughs> you have made a very strong Thank pitch. Thank you. So I think we now have a case that illustrates that I think Mazio is right. Yes, how you pitch it both to your audience and based off your own genuine experience is a serious factor in getting people to brave this complexity and also focus on the parts that matter to them. Yeah. Yeah. Like you mentioned that, oh, there's all these crazy skill tree options and stuff that came up in passing earlier this episode. And that was nothing related to your pitch. That is not something that interests you. That's not something that particularly interests me. Right. So how did we get here? I was talking about whether or not the (laughs) complex systems significantly... Improved your enjoyment. Were enjoyable on the whole. impacted your enjoyment. How they impacted your enjoyment. I think it's... I've been saying this for most of the podcast, but I really think it's how it's introduced to me. I think if I'm forced to go read wiki articles for hours, I typically fall off pretty fast. Which is why I play Warframe very casually. Because I'm not going to invest that amount of time to go read wiki articles for most of my day. I'm willing to read art- wiki articles for like 5 to 10 minute increments. And I enjoy that sort of, ooh, what's this next piece? Because it's almost like exploring, but on a less physical level. It's exploring on a systemic level. And I enjoy that nearly as much as I enjoy exploring a game world. Right. So for me, that's sort of like 
here's the next thing on the horizon is an enjoyable so like a experience. Research while I'm at lunch at work, your odds of me playing go up about 100%. Mm, that's also true. If I don't have to be like fully devoted to an article and the article is safe for work, that checks out. That's how I got but started I in this work a- for magic was I could watch it at work at lunch. I think this has been a good talk because I think we brought up some good points, you know? Yeah, I think we should call it here and then uh, re-rack for the next one. Agreed. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the podcast. Next episode, Drew will return with us as we discuss as I go to the Discord to find Being at the table. <laughs> oh, table Thank etiquette. you. <laughs> also, who's Drew? Oh, my God. I can't believe this Doesn't one. Doesn't even know your name. will join us in the next episode <laughs> as we talk about etiquette at the table. <laughs> now I need to come up with a third name. <laughs> as always. <laughs> we'll see you all next as time. As always, thank you guys for listening. If you want to check out more on what Evil Quacks is doing, you can find out more on our website, www.evilquacks.com. Our current project is Project Sam, and I think it's coming along really well. But I'm biased because I own the company and manage the project. But I think it's going along great. I don't own the company or get involved in the project at all. And I have also liked what I've seen based off of the different uh, snippets and tidbits on the social medias. Uh, I update Twitter a lot more than I do Facebook, but both of them you can find us with the name Evil Quacks. Follow us there. Get more information. We also stream every Tuesdays and Thursdays on the Evil Quacks Twitch not the game that we are currently making but you get to know a little bit more about our community uh, and he will also talk about what's new and happening with us at the end of stream so go check them out otherwise stay evil back back back